Thanks for joining us on the Southside Church Podcast. We seek to build real followers of Jesus, so we hope that you find this message both encouraging and insightful. Let's jump in. Good morning, Southside Church. I'm so glad you joined us for worship today uh, as we pick up on part three of our courageous study. I actually had the privilege of, of teaching just a couple of weeks ago to kick off this courageous study and looking at Joshua chapter one, where God comes to tell Joshua that he is the next leader of, of Israel and, and the big shoes that he had to fill and taking over for Moses and, and how he encouraged him three different times to be strong and courageous. And, and last week, and, and Pastor Allen getting to talk about um, Joshua chapter 6 and what it looks like to be obedient and follow the Lord's instruction because as a recipe for success, we are successful in God's eyes when we are obedient to his commands. And so I was tasked with talking about Joshua chapter 10. And I'm just going to be honest with you, as I began to read Joshua chapter 10, and I began to turn back and look at Joshua chapter 9, because you, you definitely need Joshua chapter 9 in order to understand the predicament that the Israelites are in, in Joshua chapter 10. And as I began to read Joshua chapter 9, I was like, you would really have a much deeper and fuller appreciation for Joshua chapter 9 if you understood what happens in Joshua chapter 7 and 8. So tonight, or today, we're going to be looking at Joshua 7, 8, 9, and 10. And we're going to kind of leapfrog in those, kind of picking up the touch points and the, the takeaway truths from each chapter. And hopefully it will, it will come together to see what God is teaching, not only Joshua and the Israelites in the book of Joshua, but what he's teaching us today. So, we'll start in Joshua chapter 7. But before we do, I want to take just a, just a verse look at what it, kind of the, we talked about it's a recipe for success that the Israelites enjoyed in, in the conquer and conquest of Jericho in, in Joshua chapter 6. But when chapter 7 opens, we see that the Lord is angered because of disobedience. And so to understand that verse, I'm going to start us off by looking at Joshua chapter 6, verse 18. And so keep in mind that they enjoyed success. You know, they, they marched around the city a bunch of times for a certain amount of days. And when they tooted their horns, the, the walls fell down and they went in and they conquered the city of Jericho. But what happened that was, and they were in disobedience. What, what happened that was disobedient to the, to the word of God? Well, this is what God gave to Joshua in order to tell the nation of Israel. This is kind of the, the caveat to following the instruction of going around the walls and, and blowing their horns all at the same time. The walls coming down, there were other things that they needed to obey. And this is one of them. It says, this is Joshua telling the nation of Israel, it says, but keep for yourselves, keep yourselves from the things set apart, or you will be set apart for destruction. If you take any of those things, you will set apart the camp of Israel for destruction and bring disaster on it. That's verse 18. If you read verse 19, it, it lists those things out. It talks about silver and gold and bronze. And it says you to stay away from those things because those things are going to be set for the treasury of God. And so when we come to Joshua chapter 7, we see that the Israelites, however, were unfaithful. Unfaithful regarding the things that set apart for destruction so this guy's name is probably in Hebrew was pronounced Achan, but in order to keep me from spitting on the camera, I'm going to pronounce his name as Achan. Achan, son of Carmi, son of Zabdi, son of Zerah, 
of the tribe of Judah took some of what was set apart, and the Lord's anger burned against the Israelites. And so even though they were obedient, obviously partially, the walls came down, they enjoyed conquer and conquest of the city of Jericho. We'll see that partial obedience is disobedience. And just like delayed obedience, disobedience is still sin. An individual sin, notice those verses, verses Verse 18 says very clearly that you will bring trouble upon yourself, but not only that, you will bring trouble upon the camp, the entire camp of the nation of Israel. Something that we need to realize today is that individual sin always goes farther in its impact. It doesn't just impact us. It always impacts others. And when there is sin in the camp, according to the text, the camp will suffer and we see this, this sin, it, it led to ultimately defeat. If you flip on over down into chapter 7, you'll see that they, were, they moved on from Jericho. They were about, this is before they had really discovered that there was sin in the camp, that, that Achan had taken some things from the city of Jericho that he wasn't supposed to. And as this chapter, chapter 7 unfolds, we see that They have no idea. Ultimately, this is Joshua writing. It's believed that Joshua is writing these chapters. And it's probably years after the events actually happened. He's he's writing down the things that the Lord told him. He's writing down what happened and transpired in the history of the nation of Israel. And so as as chapter 7 unfolds, we see that they moved on from Jericho to go and fight another city, Ai which was a small, tiny city. And as they sent spies into it, the spies came back and, recorded and, and told Joshua, hey man, don't worry about sending the entire army because this nation is so, this city is so small. You only need about two or 3,000 folks and we'll be able to take care of AI no problem because you see what God did back at Jericho? There's no problem. We're not going to have any issues taking care of, of AI. And nowhere in those chapters where they were planning and strategizing did they consult God. And you'll see that because there was sin in the midst, God was not with them. God was not with them for victory in their conquest of Ai because when those two or 3,000 guys went and fought against Ai, the tiny city of Ai chased them back and even killed 36 Israelites. And sin ultimately led to defeat. And because there was sin in the camp, that defeat led to Doubt in Joshua chapter 7, verse 7. So this is Joshua. And remember, this is, this is the same Joshua that God is talking to back in Joshua chapter 1 that says, be strong and courageous. He says, be very strong and courageous. Haven't I told you, be strong and courageous. He says, I will be with you. I will never, I will never forsake you. I will be with you. Remember, we talked about that a couple of weeks ago that he said those two statements three different times. And because this situation has happened, there's, we've had this defeat, he's experienced this loss, notice what it's caused Joshua to do. It's caused him to doubt the very calling upon, of God upon his, his life. Notice what he says. This is God. I mean, this is Joshua crying out to God. He says, oh, Lord God, Joshua said, why did you ever bring these people across the Jordan to hand us over to the Amorites for, for our destruction? If, if only we had been content to remain on the other side of the Jordan. 
this defeat, this, this sin which led to defeat and this defeat that's ultimately leading to, to, to doubt, it's causing Joshua to doubt that God is even capable of, of doing what he said he was going to do. And it's then, in that moment, that God reveals that someone in the camp has, as the text says, transgressed the covenant that he made with his people. And it's through this particular situation that God teaches Joshua, the nation of Israel, and he's teaching us how to handle sin, not only in our lives, but in, in the camp, in the church, in our families, how we are to deal with sin. And in Joshua chapter 7, verse 13, we're going to see, we're going to see that sin must be confronted corporately and individually. And we see that in, in verse 13. Notice what he says. It says, go and consecrate the people. Tell them to consecrate themselves for tomorrow. For this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says. There are things that are set apart among you, Israel. You will not be able to stand against your enemies until you remove what is set apart. God is saying, you've taken the things that were set apart from, from me. And he says, you will never be able to stand against your enemies until the sin that you've committed is gone. The text unfolds and says that God gave instruction for, for Joshua to call all the tribes, and then he was going to kind of divide the clans. He was going to separate them into clans. He was going to filter the clans into households, and then he was going to sort the households man by man until one man was was left, and that man was Achan, the man we've already been introduced to. And when it comes to confronting sin, because these, these, these Israelites would have been, they've been setting their tents up beside each other for, for many, 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 many years at this point. So they were family. And we've got to realize when we confront sin, it will always be difficult whether that's confronting it in our own lives, whether that's confronting it in the lives of people in our family, in our church family, confronting sin is difficult. But we also see how we need to deal with sin, and we sin must be dealt with harshly. Because notice how God tells Joshua to deal with the sin once they find it. It says, The one who is caught with the things set apart must be burned along with everything that he has, because he has violated the Lord's covenant and committed an outrage in Israel. Dealing with sin will always be painful, or at least dealing with sin the way God has told us to deal with sin will be painful. And so I charge you, based on the authority of God's word, don't be casual with the sin in your life. When we've got sin that you can put your finger on and all you do is slap it on the wrist, you're being casual with the sin in your life. And when you're casual with sin in your life, it continues to grow. It continues to grow and it continues to fester. And usually you're doing that in the dark where nobody knows about it. And what you think you're hiding, doing a pretty good job of hiding from everyone else. Because when you sin, hidden sin is what we're about to talk about. It affects everything. Not only do we need to deal with sin harshly, but sin must be purged. And we don't, we don't need to wait and do it tomorrow. It needs to be immediate and complete. 
We need to purge sin immediately and completely. Notice what the text says in verse 22 about immediately. So when when Joshua realizes uh, that Achan is the guy, he asks Achan to confess, and Achan confesses. He says, man, yeah, I saw saw the, 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 the gold and the silver, and I saw it, and I coveted it, and I wanted it, so I took it. And he took the, the gold and the silver and he went and he hid it under his tent. And as soon as Joshua heard the confession of Achan, notice what he did. It says, so Joshua sent messengers who ran to the tent. And there was the cloak concealed in his tent with the money underneath. You think, well, why did he, why did he hide it under his tent? Because sin, sin causes shame. And when there is shame, we seek to hide our sin. And that always impacts others around us, particularly those closest to us. When you've got sin that's in your life and you're trying to hide it, it it changes the way that you talk to your spouse. It changes the way that you treat your children. It changes the way that you respond to other brothers and sisters in Christ. It, 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 it It changes the way that you respond to anyone and everyone in your life because you're always afraid they're going to find out about this hidden sin. And because there was sin in the camp, Destruction had come upon the camp. And not only did you need to deal with it immediately, you need to deal with it completely. Notice what they did. Then Joshua and all Israel went with him, took Achan, son of Zerah, the silver, the cloak, and the bar of gold that he had, his sons and his daughters, the ox, the donkey, and the sheep, and his tent, and all that they had. And they brought them to the valley of Accor. And Joshua said, why have you troubled us? Because he had felt, as the leader of that nation, he was the one ultimately responsible for the sending the two or 3,000 troops and 36 of them not coming home to their families. He says, why have you brought trouble on us? Today the Lord will trouble you. So all Israel stoned them to death. They burned their bodies and threw the stones. And threw stones on them. Kind of as a, and a monument to remember that what sin does to the camp. And we see that this is the seriousness of sin and, and the tenacity with which it should be dealt with. We don't need to play with the sin that's in our life. We don't need to allow it to linger around because when it does, it grows and it not only further affects us, it further distances us from God and it further impacts our relationship with our family. And God's saying, you've got to get it out and get it out now. Because this is ultimately going to keep the nation of Israel from being successful in the land that God has given them. Notice verse chapter 8 as we kind of segue into chapter 8. They've had a failed attempt to conquer the nation of Ai. And now as they're Dealing with this sin, they've, 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 they've dealt with it, and now what do we do? How, how do we move on from this? We see in verse 1 of chapter 8, and you're probably sitting there, how holy cow, Corey, how in the world do we move on from here? The nation of Israel has just experienced this loss. Their leader is doubting himself. How are they going to move on from this? Notice what God says. Again, this is, I think it helps us to, to, to remember that this is Joshua thinking back on what happened. And I believe it was in the moment where he was doubting. It was in the moment where they were dealing with this mess that they had found themselves in that God came to him and said, don't be afraid or discouraged. 
because sin can distract us. Sin causes setback. You can probably testify to that in your life. But not only does sin distract and cause setbacks, it can destroy us if we allow it to linger around in our lives. But this is God telling Joshua, I am still in control. And I'm still going to stick to my word. And God then gives specific instruction to Joshua for conquering the city of Ai. And after the nation of Israel defeats the city of Ai, Joshua, the leader of the nation of Israel, he called the people to a renewed commitment of God because they just, they just suffered a, a huge setback. Had to, had to institute discipline on the nation of Israel because of the sin that one man had caused. And the thing that he does after this victory to celebrate the victory is to challenge the entire nation of Israel to renew their commitment to God. And this is how he does it. He did it by by giving God his words back to him. Notice what he does. Uh, Chapter 8, verse 32. It says, There on the stones Joshua copied the law of Moses, which he had written in the presence of the Israelites. What he did, what Joshua did to renew the commitment of the people back to God is that in front of all the people, he wrote down the word of God again, just as Moses did. He didn't just write down the parts that sounded good, that, 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 they, that they liked, and all the things about blessings. Notice what, he, notice what he wrote down. Afterward, Joshua, after he wrote it down, this is what he did. Joshua read aloud all the words of the law, the blessings as well as the curses, according to all that is written in the book of the law. He wrote down all of it, and then he read it aloud. This is the same thing that Moses did back in the book of Deuteronomy. And and when Moses would have read it aloud in the book of Deuteronomy, the people would would have shouted, Amen. And what Amen means is, let it be so. Yes, they are affirming. Not only do they understand what Moses is saying, and in this moment what Joshua is saying, they're accepting their responsibility to obey it. And I know in, in church services and, 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 and services all over the world, there are people who affirm the word of God by saying amen or, or, or that's right. And, and in so doing, they're, they're saying, this is what your amen means. If you're saying that, this is what your amen means. It means that you understand what God's word says and that you are res- accepting responsibility to do it, to live it out, to practice it. So I want to ask you a question. Does your amen go with you on Monday? Because I can't speak for anybody else that will stand on this platform, but I would rather you not say anything. I would rather you not affirm the word of God on Sunday if you're not willing to practice and obey it on Monday. Because that's what God is calling the Israelites to, and that's what he's calling you and me to. Not just to pay lip service and affirm God's word with our mouths on Sunday, but to back it up with our feet on Monday. Because if we don't cling to God's word daily, notice, you think, and and I often am too, I I, I, I don't understand how the Israelites can see what they see, and this is my thought pattern, and I'll I'll, I'll circle back to it in just a second, but I I can't wrap my mind around the Israelites seeing what they saw, experiencing God the way that they experienced him, and yet they still have ebbs and flows of obedience and disobedience in their life. 
And then as soon as I get that thought out of my mind and out of my mouth, God reminds me, Corey, you do the exact same thing. And I would imagine that you could say that today as well. Because if we don't cling to God's word daily, if we, if we create a distance between us and God by not talking to him in prayer and not listening to him through the study of his word, we will forget what he's instructed us to do. And when we do that, we'll begin to do what we want to do. And when we do that, we'll end up exactly where the Israelites were in Joshua chapter 9. In Joshua chapter 9, we we see an, an enemy present itself as a friend. Because of the success of the, the conquest that, that Joshua and the nation of Israel had against the, the cities of Jericho and the city of Ai, their, their fame spread. Scripture says that the, the fame of Joshua spread as a mighty military warrior and also the power in the name of God spread and God's glory spread amongst the land. So people begin to hear about not only how powerful the nation of Israel was, but God's plan for them, that they were going to eradicate the entire land of all the Canaanites. And you may think that sounds kind of harsh. Why is there so much bloodshed and, and killing in the book of, of Joshua? That's a good question. But this is, if, 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 if God's people were doing what God called them to do and there were on the other side of the Jordan, when God said, I want you to be a light for me, I want you to go in and I want you to show the other nations of Israel, uh, of the other nations of Canaan who I am. The main reason he said, get rid of them because they were practicing, they were the most morally bad. They, were, they, they practiced terrible morality, uh, specifically when it came to sexual immorality and they practiced child sacrificing if you go back and read in Leviticus chapter 18, Deuteronomy chapter 7, you'll see why God says to do this. And because of this, because of the fame of God had spread, and because of the, uh, the stories had spread about the power of the nation of Israel, there was one particular city, Gibeon, who plotted a, a scheme to deceive the nation of Israel. Chapter 9 talks talks about that and how um, their plan was to, to trick them, to trick the nation of Israel. So they disguised themselves um, and presented themselves to the leaders of Israel and said, hey, we're, we're this poor nation from, from far off and, and we want to be friends with you because we know what you're um, we, we know who you serve and we fear him and, and we know that he's going to eradicate everybody. So we want you to, we want you to know that we want to serve you. So do with us as you will. And this shows us that sometimes Satan will present himself as a roaring lion, as that obvious force against us, but others he, he slithers up like a deceiving serpent. And because he does that, we must always be on guard. God was pretty clear. He's pretty clearly stated multiple times at this point that the Israelites are not, not to make any treaties. Go back to the book of Deuteronomy. They're not to make peace with any of these people because God's fear, God knew that as soon as they did, they would be intermarrying. They would begin to practice the idolatrous worship that the, that the Canaanites practiced. And I think the takeaway for us is here, it says the enemy, the enemy of God is, is Satan and Satan knows the word of God. 
And he knows it so well that he can pervert it and twist it ever so slightly to get the people of God to believe a lie. What did, God, what did, what did Satan do to Jesus in the wilderness? When, after Jesus' baptism, at the beginning of his ministry, the Bible teaches us that, that Jesus was, um, was, went out into the wilderness at the, at the behest of the, of the Holy Spirit. And he was... After 40 days of fasting and praying, he, he encountered Satan. Satan came to tempt him. And, and if you go back and read that account, you'll know that Satan tempted him based on the word of God. He used and perverted and twisted pieces of scripture in order to try to get Jesus to do something that was contrary to the word of God. But how did Jesus respond? Jesus responded by a right reading and interpretation of God's word. And we'll see that Satan flee. He fled. Since the very beginning, Satan has used the words of God against the people of God. And I want to challenge you today. Satan knows the words of God, and so well that he can deceive others. Do you know God's word well enough to, to fight off Satan's advances? Because in chapter, chapter 9, we see when we do not consult God, we see what happens. Chapter 9, verse 14 says, And then the men of Israel took some of their provisions. So again, when they're talking with Gibeon, the nation of Gideon, the leaders, the elders of Gibeon, they come, uh, when, when Joshua asked them who and where they were, who they were and where they were from, they gave them the why they came because they were afraid of God. And they lied. They said, we were from afar. And so instead of consulting God, they took some of their provisions. And it says, but did not seek the Lord's counsel. And when the people of God make commitments without the counsel of God, we end up paying a huge price. And oftentimes we end up having to defend those, 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 those pacts, those treaties, those agreements that we make most of the time in order to protect ourselves. And that's exactly what the nation of Israel found themselves in. But by the time that Joshua had, had discovered this deception, we're told that at the beginning of chapter 10, that there were five other kings surrounding cities that heard what Gibeon had done and, and were so angry at Gibeon that they, they aligned themselves together, all the five kings, and they were going to attack Gibeon. And because Gibeon had just received this new alliance with this very strong new power of Israel, what did they do? They reached out to Israel and said, help us. And that brings us to Joshua chapter 10. In Joshua chapter 10, verses 8 through 15, this is kind of the account of what happens. So Joshua's discovered that, that what Gibeon has done, the messengers uh, from, the nation, from the city of Gibeon, the after, they, after they're about to go into war with these five other cities, they're no doubt going to be crushed. They reach out to Israel for help, and notice, notice what happens. As the Lord said to Joshua, Do not be afraid of them, for I have handed them over to you. Not one of them will be able to stand against you. So Joshua caught them by surprise after, after marching all night from Gilgal, which is where they were camped. He says, uh, the Lord threw them into confusion before Israel. He, he defeated them in a great slaughter at Gibeon, chased them through the ascent of, 
Beth Haran and struck them down as far as Azekah and Makeda. And as they fled before Israel, the Lord threw large hailstones on them from the sky along the descent uh, of Beth Haran all the way to Azekah. And they died. More of them died from the hail than the Israelites killed with the sword. And on the on the day the Lord gave the Amorites over to the Israelites, Joshua spoke to the Lord in the presence of Israel, Sun, stand still over Gibeon, and moon over the valley of Aijalon. It says, and the sun stood still, and the moon stopped until the nation took vengeance on its enemies. Isn't this written in the book of Jasher? So the sun stopped in the middle of the sky, and delayed its setting almost a full day. There was no day like that before it and after it when the Lord listened to the voice of a man. The Lord fought for Israel. Then Joshua and all Israel with him returned to the camp to Gilgal. Did you see did you see what happened? Even, even, even though Israel had just made this, entire, this huge blunder without, but by making a decision before counseling God, it shows that God can still accomplish his purposes even through our blunders. That's not an encouragement for us to go out and just continue to, 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 to make blunders because we really don't need any help doing that. But I think the things to notice from these few verses is is one, that Joshua prayed according to God's will. He, he prayed for the sun not to go down until the nations were destroyed. And that's exactly what God's purpose of them going into the land, that's the first job that God gave them to do. So God prayed, Joshua prayed according to the will of God. And because Joshua prayed to, according to, to God's will, God fought for Israel. He even threw hailstones down. The text literally says that the Lord fought for Israel. And because Joshua prayed according to God's will, God was willing to intervene into the natural processes of creation to see his will fulfilled. God is in control of the sun and the moon, and he shows it at the request of Joshua. The text says that no, there's nothing that's happened before it, nothing, nothing that's happened after it, when God listened to the voice of a man. I want to, I want to ask you, where are, are you today? Now, while we've only covered a few chapters of God's word, we've seen a spectrum of, spiritual, of spirituality. We've seen what it looks like to obey and experience the closeness and, and victory that accompanies obedience, like, like that at Jericho. Is that you? Are you experiencing spiritual victory right now because you've been obedient to the instruction of God's word? Praise God. Continue to be obedient to the instruction of God's word. Or are you experiencing the, the discipline of God that always accompanies our disobedience like the nation of Israel in, in Joshua chapter seven? Are you walking through the shame that comes with hidden sin in our lives. And if that's you, 
God's word says confess that today. Because as a child of God, your sin has been forgiven and the shame and guilt you're, you're feeling right now only lingers as long as you allow it to. And it lingers as long as you allow it to fester in the dark. Or maybe you're experiencing a season of spiritual drought and need a renewed commitment. Like at the, at the end of chapter 7 and 8 where, where, where Joshua um, gathers the entire nation of Israel and, and, and challenges, challenges them to a, a renewed commitment to God by writing the God's word out before the nation of Israel, by reading God's word aloud and establishing a monument so that they would remember. Maybe that's you. Maybe you've, maybe you, you need a renewed commitment because you've forgotten the goodness, the provision, and the, and the life-giving joy that flows from God's word. Have, have you neglected spending time with God, talking to him in prayer and, and listening to him through the reading of his word? If that's you, cry out, cry out to the Lord today, expressing exactly what you're feeling. Don't kill the temptation to, 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 to flatter God with fancy words, trying to, trying to make it sound like you're, you're not going through exactly a difficult time as you are. Be honest with God because God sees and knows exactly where you are and what you're going through. So give him exactly what you're feeling. Joshua did. He cried out even with the doubts that he was experiencing. Maybe you've been spending time with God, but you've been spending that time telling God what you want rather than asking him what he wants. God doesn't intervene in creation to accomplish our will. So if you're frustrated in your prayer life because God isn't giving you what you want, stop asking him for what you want. Stop, stop asking according to your will and start begging him according to his. Because we've seen that God has a knack for intervening into the natural course of, of creation and history to accomplish his will. Most famously, when he intervened by, by coming to earth, taking on a fleshly body and punishing sin. Because that's what, exactly what Jesus did on the cross. And regardless of where you are today, whether you're, you've never been introduced to God, you've never placed faith in Jesus, or maybe you've placed faith in Jesus and maybe you've, you've, you've strayed, Jesus is still, still ready to, to receive you, but he's also ready to encourage you just as he did Joshua. And so, wherever you are on that spectrum today. I want to ask you, two weeks ago I asked you, who are you putting your confidence in? And today I want to ask you, if you're crying out to God, what are you asking him? Are you asking him to save you? Because if you've never done that, I challenge you. God is in the saving business and he wants to save you. Scripture says that today is the day of salvation. Or are you crying out to him for help because you doubt 
all the things that are going on around you, the situations or circumstances that you're in are causing all of these different emotions and feelings. God is bigger than those. And regardless of where you are in Joshua 7 through 10, God is, God is with you. And he says he'll never forsake you. If there's a sin in your life and you're feeling tension, that's God putting pressure on that. And he's imploring you to, to get sin out of your life because there was a savior. There is a savior and his name is Jesus Christ and he died for your sin if you would only believe. And so I wanna ask you to, to bow your head and close your eyes this morning. And if you wanna know how to say yes to Jesus today, there's, there's a prayer that'll come up on, on the screen and there's no power in these words. These words just kind of put our heart and our minds in a, in a state of, of submission, crying out that, God, I can't save myself, but because I know that, that you are God and that you love me, you love me so much that you sent Jesus to die for my sin. And I believe that you are God and I need Jesus because I cannot save myself. That's what I wanna say yes to today. And if you've said yes today, we want to celebrate that with you. And we do not want you to walk the journey of being a Christ follower alone. We want to partner with you. So let us know. Follow the instructions on the screen. Let us know that you've made this decision. And we want to to put some material in your hand to help equip you to do what God is calling you to do. Thank you so much for worshiping with us today. If you made that decision today to say, yes, I do want to choose Jesus. I do want to acknowledge him as my personal Lord and Savior. Congratulations. We could not be more excited for you. And we want to help you in that process and answer any questions you might have and provide you resources. To do that, simply text Jesus, that's J-E-S-U-S, to 706-449-0870. And one of our pastors on staff will be in touch with you because we want to help you as you walk out your faith. If you thought, you know what, I would like to contribute to all that God is doing in and through Southside. I would like to partner with them. You can do that in three simple ways. First, you can text GIVE, G-I-V-E, to 706-449-0870. Secondly, you can do it on the Southside app in the GIVE tab. Lastly, Southside.online. You can do it through the GIVE section on our website. Thank you so much for being here with us today, and we hope you have a great rest of your week.